0: Now that you would teach we may hear from you that we may grasp this and rejoice at uh, what our brother Paul set as an example for we who exist today father may our hearts uh, be encouraged and yet father may our sin be dealt with father may your holiness be exposed and father our righteousness clothe us even greatly, greater so that when all would see us, they would say, Those are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, may we go forth from here encouraged, strengthened, and yet, Father, with our eyes focused upon Your kingdom, Your righteousness, as we rejoice that You will grant us what is needed. And Father, may we, as ambassadors and yet as pilgrims, Father, may we be used mightily for the harvest of souls that you have set your seal on. In Christ's name, amen. We started looking at this text uh, last week, I said. And what you will find in the writings of the Apostle Paul is that he uses many metaphors to describe uh, ministry. Okay? We've grown up in a culture that says that the guy up there with the suit and the tie, well, I guess we've changed that now. It's the guy who can be casual now, too. But the guy behind the pulpit, whether it's a see-through pulpit or a wood pulpit or whatever it is he's got in this day and age, uh, that is the minister. And uh, we come and, uh, and we listen to the minister. Um, that's true. That's true. To a point, part of my service to the body of Christ is what I'm doing right now. Uh, And yet, this is just a very, very small part of what I do as I minister uh, to the body of Christ. The truth of the matter is, if you're saved, you're a minister. You don't get an option in it. Um, I tell people, and I have said this sometimes to get myself in trouble... um, I don't know whether a person's saved unless I've walked with them for three years. Because in three years, um, I guess if my wife would say, if you hang out with him for three years, uh, you're either going to be saved or you are saved. Because you will be miserable if you're not. Uh, And I I think that that's good. Uh, But Paul uses many metaphors to describe this. And I want to take it to the level that it needs to be looked at. Because I know people today who will say, uh, I have a ministry. Okay? Or they'll say, I am a minister. Or I've heard people make the statement that I have been uh, ordained into ministry. And you hear all kinds of things that are used to describe this. Truth of the matter is, I will agree with my dear brother Wayne down in Albuquerque. Ministry is not achieved, it is received. There are many people who believe that if I go to college, or if I do this, or if I do this, if I get this degree, or if I get this ability, then I will minister. Well, i tell you what. If you don't do what the king says, you won't minister. I mean, you may have a ministry, but you're not ministering. Uh, The Apostle Paul makes the end of of this very text, and he says, The arrogant speak a lot that's a literal translation and he says yet there's no power in the words and I see people who are busy ministering with no power and yet I see people who have committed to the ways of Christ and you and I would not say that they have a big effective ministry and yet lives are being changed under what they're doing so explain to me how that works um, he is dealing with a church in Corinth that is struggling, to say the least. Um, chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is common knowledge in this church that there is immorality. All right, So it is a church known for immorality. Okay, now you need to understand that phrasing. And I'll deal with it a, quite a bit in depth in the weeks to come. But the truth of the matter is, The community knew the church in Corinth as a place of immorality. Yay. All right? I mean, you know, churches are known for a multitude of reasons. I don't think that's on the list. Okay? And so, if you look at what he's dealing with, you understand... And that's just part of it, as as my favorite word would be. There is a plethora of problems. All right? But he's dealing with these, and... In our standards for today's society, we would almost say that it seems like Paul is just a little bit harsh. Okay? Uh, and yet, we've seen reasons is that he says, I am a servant. He says, I am a slave of God. I am a steward of the mysteries of God. That's why I may sound a little harsh. But he says, as I have labored in this, in chapter 3, verse 6, he said, I have been in, as a farmer some sow some water, God gives the harvest. He says, I have sown the seed, and Apollos has harvested some. In 3.10, he says, as a builder, I am building on the things that the, the king has given me, the responsibilities that God has given me. And you put these all together. We looked at some last week out of Second uh, Timothy 2, where it said that uh, the servant of God would be as a soldier would be as an athlete, would be as, um, as a farmer. And, and you just keep compressing these on top of each other. Because what we have a tendency in our day and age to do is that I'm going to be a soldier for the Lord. Well, yay. All right? But do you understand that as a soldier of the Lord, you will compete as an athlete by the rules that have been set down? according to the guidelines that have been given. Do you understand that as the farmer uh, can grow absolutely nothing if God doesn't grow it? Um, as a builder, uh, you may invest uh, in wood, hay, and stubble, and you'll build a structure, but when the fire comes, will it stand? I heard a comment in one of the sermons uh, in that conference that I was at in, uh, in July where the uh, guy made the the, the the comment, he said that in our churches today, and I and I have to agree with this. In our churches today, uh, there's an irony that is appearing. We have churches, and in that church body, we have people who are hurting. And he says, and I'm talking about. He says, I'm not talking about they've got hangnails. He says, I'm talking about uh, broken homes. I'm talking about physical and mental abuse. I'm talking about heartache, death, disease, and dying. And the best that we can come up with is according to um, such and such CD, track 3, you should be able to come this. And yet the truth of the matter is, we have the word of God. Not only do we have the word of God, we have the power of God indwelling us. And yet if you look at the church today, you have to ask yourself, I don't see, Is that's a God thing? Uh, when I think about the ministry of this church and how we've managed to impact globally, how we've managed to uh, support diligently nine separate churches in Belarus that their Sunday school classes are larger than our congregation, all nine churches. Uh, When I think about the Antioch initiative that is coming up on how we can invest in mother churches in the lands of Russia and hopefully be able to uh, as Paul and Barnabas was sent out from Antioch, we will be able to send out men and women who, that Christians have seen the call of God upon their hearts and their lives. How do we do that? How do we, as small as we do, uh, as small, we don't, you know what, I, I've never, as long as I've been in this church, I think 17 or 18 years, I've never seen a stewardship drive. And yet they tell me that if you're going to minister, you've got to have a stewardship drive. Um, You know, how is it that a spiritual leader sets the pace? And he makes that statement there that's just is phenomenal. He says, be imitators of me. That's discipling. That is ministering. Uh, And and, and as we look at this... um, there's a lot of metaphors, but I think that the metaphor that possibly hits what I would call discipling, what, called, what I would call ministering, is the one that he gave, gives here in verse 14 uh, and 15 and following. Because he makes the statement, we looked at this last week, I want to review this a little bit. Uh, I used in your outline, we'll bring forth in verse 15. Okay. The term here in the New American Standards is, I became your father. It literally means, I begot you. We looked last week in Acts chapter 18. And, and for all intents and purposes, what I will tell you is, is that he birthed this church. I mean, I, you know... I, he understands, I understand if you're struggling with you think this is Paul's works then you need to read your text because he understood that it was in Christ Jesus through the gospel please understand that we have a mentality today that you send these cards out to every household in the community ask them what they want from church and then begin a church based on that response well that's silly you're asking lost people to tell you what they want from God. I can tell you what they want. Big screen TV, football channels, beer and hot dogs. Or brats. Or maybe they're healthy lost people and they don't want greasy food. They want light beer. Okay? I know what lost people want. They want their flesh fed. Period. Period. Feed my flesh. Make me, you've heard it, make me feel good. And if you're going to minister effectively in the power of God, how do you do that? How do you do that? And we all have our ways, but I'm going to look at Paul's ways. Because he made a statement in verse 15, you may have many tutors, countless tutors. Uh, some of your translation may say thousands of ten thousands. Uh, the l- word in the Greek means gazillions, okay, um, which means countless, all right? It's the biggest term they have numerically for the Greek, all right? And tutor is the house slave. There was a person in your, in your home, if you were wealthy, that you would have was the moral supervisor for your children. And any time your child went out, this moral supervisor, chaperone, would attend this child to make sure they never got in troubles, and said, here's the ABCs of do's and don'ts of life. And that's the term that he uses there as tutors. And he says, you may have countless tutors, instructions, people who will instruct you in the things of God, but you will only have one father. Okay? You will have a person who will... Deal with your flesh. You will have people who will deal with your pride, your love of human wisdom, um, dividing over personalities. You know, I prefer Paul's preaching over Apollos' preaching. Uh, we do it today. I prefer Swindoll over MacArthur. I prefer Sproul over whatever. Uh, it's, we still do it. Pride is rampant in the church. The love of human wisdom is rampant in the church. Uh, The flesh is alive and well and thriving in the body of Christ. And yet, the Apostle Paul uses some very strong words to say, uh, This is wrong. And it hurts. It hurts. I mean, it, it hurts to have my flesh exposed. It hurts to find out that something that I was taking great emphasis and zeal in was nothing but my own human pride. It hurts to find out that what I've been doing with the Word of God is imposing human wisdom upon it, human understanding. God says, my ways are not your ways. And and let's be realistic. In my life, perhaps not yours, the things that God has done just don't make sense. (laughs) But when you understand in the beginning was the word. That's the word we get. We call it logos. And we have great meaning in that. So where you get logic from. In the beginning was logic. And we checked it out for human stupidity. Is basically what we did. Bring forth a child. I shared with you my... Uh, Uh, fond memories of bringing forth my last child and wandering through the hospital with him wrapped up in that I still to this day don't know how they wrap them children in them little blankets Um, and and then I asked myself what do you do what what can I do to experience being a spiritual father spiritual father and um you know, and and people will give you this answer. I love this one. You know, well, if you've got the gift of evangelism, you go out and you, you know what? He told Timothy to do the work of an evangelism. But if you go through and see how he describes Timothy, Timothy didn't have the gift of evangelism. But Timothy had the same longing that the apostle Paul had. Had the same longing that so many men in my life who have affected me had, and that is a longing for souls, people who are lost it would be like this I look at the longing for souls like this if I had the cure for every disease known to humanity what would you do with it? I'm going to hide it I'm going to hide it under here and I don't want nobody to find it alright this is right there I got it Uh, 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 and you can't have it All alright probably what we would do is copyright it patent it and then I will release it because I wish for you to care for me the rest of my life um I shared with you my testimony briefly last week on when I came into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And my response was, read, or where I was told was, read the Gospel of John. I'd been baptized and they said, read the Gospel of John. And then I have to ask this question. Do I have a desire to experience spiritual fatherhood? And then you have to ask, your, ask this question first, Truly. All right, because here's the one that gets you in trouble. How long does it take for a child to be left alone? All right, because see, we got we got Billy Grahamitis. That's what I call it. I want you to say a prayer, say the sinner's prayer, the Romans Road, whatever it is you want to do, and they do it, and they ask Jesus to save them, and now you think you're done. You know, I I described it this way, and I'm going to get in trouble for this. My wife told me I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't always listen to my wife, to my detriment. A woman talks about the pain of childbirth and that horrifying nine months. And then the father gets the next 20 years. Okay? And it's going to take me a little longer because I have two have gone to college, and I've concluded once I get theirs paid off, my third will go to college. I had always, I told, I was telling a friend of mine, I always wanted to fly a helicopter. I almost went into the military during the conclusion of the Vietnam War to fly helicopters. And I thought, that's probably not the smartest way to learn to fly a helicopter. And so um, I've always had that desire. So I priced it. It's $30,000 to learn to fly a helicopter. And I figured that by the time I get my kids squared away on their own, I'll be about 73 ready to fly the helicopter. Because spiritual fatherhood, first and foremost, is you need to understand you now have responsibility to take care of that soul. You have been given a privilege. You have been given a gift that only God can give, and that is to draw and usher a soul into paradise. You have been given the privilege of ministering the eternal gift that overcomes every disease. Now then, what are you going to do with it? And we have in our mentality of this short, you know, I'm going to drive through wind to save some soul and I'm out of here, ain't happening. Why? The whole book of 2 Timothy describes it. And I shared with you last week the comment that you hear a lot on the news today. What is our exit strategy? Okay, do you know what the exit strategy is to being a spiritual father? There is one. No, there is. I found it. My wife said, there is no exit strategy. There is. I found it. There's an exit strategy for being a spiritual father. I have been poured out as a drink offering. I have stayed. I have kept the faith. I have stayed the court. They cut my head off. I'm no longer a spiritual father. At my death, my children are on their own. That's what Paul told Timothy. It was a spiritual father speaking to a spiritual son saying, My race is done. I have kept the faith. I am done. I have given you what you need. Find faithful men and trust them with what I have given you. And guess what? I'm out of here. So when is the exit strategy for discipleship? Well, it's either death or Alzheimer's. I don't know. I prefer that if I just get halfheimers that you put me out someplace. Okay? You know what? It's possible to be a, a, a man. It's possible to be a husband. But you can never be a father until there's a child. And you know what? Sadly, I think there's a horrifying number of Christians who've never produced a child. I was thinking about it. See, you've got to understand, we're in a different age than the Apostle Paul was. Paul took the gospel to Corinth. Um, What church did he go to? He did go to a church. He went to the synagogue. That would be similar to me going into um, St. Francis' assist. You know what I mean. He's a girly boy. No. Um, Going up there saying, I have the gospel for you. All right, and they would probably have the same effect. All right, quickly they would say, "Where's the crackers and the juice?" And I said, "They ain't getting none. We're getting word. I'm going to go meet potatoes today." All right, it had the same effect. The gospel had never been proclaimed. Let's go c- proclaim it. But today I end up with some what I call I adopt some children. I'd like to say it was my fault, but it's not. It's God's fault. Why? And yet, as an elder, if you go to the uh, 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews you'll find out that an elder has oversight over the souls entrusted to him and has to give an account some you know and I was just thinking about this there are some in this church who have come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in my ministry and I'm still parenting them there are some that I've kind of adopted and I am parenting them And yet I think about Christians. How many Christians have never begotten a child? How many Christians are only being ministered to and yet are not ministering? I only want what I can get. I'm not willing to birth a child. And I'll be honest with you. It's, you know, use whatever term you want. Giving birth to a spiritual child is a pain. Okay? Because they got that whiny thing. You know when the kids first learn to walk, and it, and it's why are they running? And they you ever seen they eat anything they'll put anything into their mouth, and then they get the vocabulary thing going, and then you're like, oh gee, all right. What is really bizarre is is take a full grown human being and watch that person come to Christ. Now not only you are starting in a negative situation. Because you gotta get rid of all the information that they've been living by. That don't work. Did you know that? It don't work. That's why I've talked to some some men who have mentored me and have have sort of been my spiritual father, is that they said you were blessed, Terry. And I said, Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) and they said, You were not raised in the church. You don't have a system to deal with. He says, when you go figure out what you're doing, you just he says, it's amazing. You just go to the Bible. Everything else seems more confusing. But I tell you what, I'll give you John MacArthur's quote, and I'm going to give you Charles Spurgeon quote about Christians bringing forth children. MacArthur says this, a Christian who does does not bring forth spiritual children is a living contradiction to what a Christian is. Unquote. Charles Spurgeon said it this way in his lectures to my students, a Christian is a living thing And one of the characteristics of a living thing is the ability to reproduce. End quote. Christians are reproductive. Should be. Okay? The problem with reproducing is once you do begot one of these things, then the race begins. The race begins. Paul speaks of it In amazing ways. He birthed this body in Corinth. In Galatians. Which you understand there's not a city of Galatia. It's what you and I would kind of think of as a county. I guess would be the best. Uh, Derby, Iconium. um, A number of cities were in Galatia. He calls the church. uh, The believers in Galatia. My children. He calls them my sons. He calls them my little children. He also calls them foolish. Why? He kind of got mad at them alright he even had a slave come to him named Onanissimus something like that you know his name I know his master's name his master's name was easy Philemon and he wrote Philemon he says Onanissimus is, uh, is my son okay and see these guys want me to speak Korean He calls Timothy his son. He calls Titus his son. Oh, you can't forget James. James chapter 1, verse 18. The Lord says, In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Unquote. I like James. Okay, He doesn't have to say Onesimus. 1 okay. Peter chapter 1.23 says, You've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. What is that? Ladies, you should know this. You're in that study. It is the Word of God. It's not a system. It's not a method. It's not a technique. It is the Word of God. So if you're going to bring forth kids, guess what you need to do first? Be diligent to show yourself a worker approved. Doing what? Rightly dividing truth. I think perhaps that's the biggest problem. We don't rightly divide truth. We come, we get our little f- mouth full here, or we take a Bible study there, and that's it. That's why I've sort of changed my format for the Roman study that we're doing. Well, that and I got in trouble. But, uh, well, it's, you need to exercise to see how to do it. How do you study Scripture? Listen, I'm not educated. I didn't go to none of these homiletic, hermeneutic, exegetical, eisegesic schools. I studied scripture by reading it. Well, actually, I studied scripture first by writing it. Because if I were taken, I'd write it out, I could get rid of the chapters and the things that bothered me. Like subtitles. Subtitles bother me. Alright? So you just write it out. It's a letter. Now I can look at the letter and say, hey, cool. I had to go back. I had kind of gotten out of that habit, but I run into some things in this letter, 1 Corinthians, and I had to go back and do that again. Because my head was twitching. Um, It's by the Word of God. That's what Paul has already showed us. Why? It is in Christ Jesus. I became your Father. How? Through the Gospel. You know what the Gospel is? 66 books is the good news. Sorry. I know, I always thought it was in the first four books of the New Testament. Because that's what it says, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of, it's not. So first, you've got to bring them forth. You've got to give birth. This takes a lot of work. In giving birth, we'll step into our text now. I do not write these things, we'll call it 14A, how's that? I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. I do not write these things to shame you. Now, let me explain something to you. Chapter 5, he shames them. (laughs) I don't care what anybody says. Uh, You can be as, you know, as spiritual as you want, but if you have the founder of your church write you this letter and he says, it is actually reported that there is an immorality among you and an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. That's sort of embarrassing Okay? Because do you understand that when he wrote this letter, the pastor of the church would get up in front of the congregation and read this letter. So if I'm reading this letter and I would say, it is, I have heard that there is an immorality that exi- that you are doing that doesn't exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. The person who has his father's wife sitting in the congregation going, uh-oh. Right? I mean, we know who he's talking about. How many of you have sat in the congregation and go like this? Boy, I wish my husband was listening to this. Or boy, I wish my kids were listening to this. Or every once in a while I'll see guys' heads go, whoo. And that means that she wants you to listen to that. And he goes on down there in verse 5. He says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Read that in front of a congregation. And ask how many people be tickled to death with what you're doing, especially with the guy in the back who has his mother's wife or his father's wife, mother's wife. You can do that in America today, but uh, right? I mean, would you be embarrassed? Think about the pastor who has to read it. I have a letter from Paul, our founder. You know, the one who poured himself into... The one who says he's daddy. By the way, daddy's mad. The text, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. All right? He wants to go from the shame. He wants to expose it for what it is, but I need to change you. And the only way it's obvious for me to change you is to expose it. Please, 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 I beg you, hear me on this. If you're not going to listen to all of this right now, go to sleep now and don't listen to any more. Okay, that's just going to be safer. Uh, I know people who love shaming people. Okay, that's wrong. How many of you heard of Matthew chapter 18 and call that church discipline? That is not church discipline. Okay? It is restoration. Please understand the difference. You don't expose somebody and shame them just because... You feel like it. You're doing it solely to restate the relationship that that person has broken with their Lord and Savior. I don't send people outside of the church just because I think Satan needs to teach a bunch of people a lesson. It is to restore that purpose. It is not to destroy you. It is to reclaim you. I will point out a sin. I I had a young man in our fellowship. Uh, who came to me and we went through the leadership class together and uh, he he really wanted to get married. He just was, i got to get married. I I know that I'm supposed to be married. And and he had approached me and he said, anytime that you believe that I am in sin or I am stumbling, would you please point it out to me? He had told me that. And I said, are you sure you want to do that? And he said, yes, I want you to do that. So he kept telling me about wanting a wife. And I finally sat down and I said, all right, here's the deal. You are lusting. Well, uh, uh, you told me that if you... You're lusting. I said, you are not... You are negating the very things of God because you're consumed with a woman. And you don't even know what the woman is. I mean, you don't have, he didn't have a girlfriend or anything like that, but he knew he needed one. And I said, Bud, I thought in Christ you were complete. Well, I am. Well, why do you keep wanting a woman? So we went through, and I, t- I finally taught, showed him scripturally. I said, Commit to the things of God, God will provide. Uh, Dr. Olford described it to me this way it's called Adam's rest. Okay? Inner Adam's rest. All right? And God will provide. All right, Adam's rest. Ask yourself a question. Before Eve, what was the one thing that consumed Adam every day? God. I mean, you can't go out and talk to a giraffe or a hippopotamus. So if you're going to talk, hang out, converse, who's a God? God. And all he can be consumed with is what? God. He woke up, and what was there? A woman. All right? That's Adam's rest. I'm consumed with the things of God and God provided. Guess what happened with Dan? He got consumed. We spent two years together. I showed him how to interpret the Scriptures. I showed him how to, uh, what spiritual leadership was about. I showed him how to take his Bible and the tools that are available to every human being who can read English. All right? And I showed him how to do that and guess what? He run into Renee. Poof! Out of clear blue, and he says, "What do you think?" I said, "Don't make a long lengthy engagement." He proposed to her on January. Is married in June. All right, and they're happy as you know. Even a year later, they're still happy. Why? He got consumed with the things of God, but he was warned. What was co- causing him the greatest trouble in his work, in his in his life? He wanted a woman. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with if if of wanting a spouse. That's not what God said. God did not But the truth of the matter is, why? The apostle Paul says, "I would have you be as me." What is that? Single. Why? Well, I understand that, but I don't get that option. Why you can be consumed with every action, everything you can do all right uh, me and my wife were, t- we're talking about I have an opportunity in March uh, to spend uh, hopefully uh, two weeks in Israel uh, actually Israel Turkey, and Greece um, and and, um, and and have some connections there that are different than everybody else's and uh, and yet I would have to leave uh, my wife and and, and uh, Two kids, uh, I'll be with the third for a week. But uh, uh, and how does that work? How what is the dynamics in my home to make that work? Okay, I gotta be honest with you. As far as spiritually reaching people in Israel, uh, yeah, right. That's like reaching people in Castle Rock. But uh, other than they're not fighting, well, maybe they are. But uh, you know, and then there is that Israel. You're going where? Israel. Well, don't you understand that? Yeah, just don't get on a bus. If you see a crowd, run away from the crowd. <laughs> I'm don't, I don't, not really understanding what is difficult about this. They go after numbers. All right? So stay away from numbers. <laughs> there you go. Right, so I'm not really understanding what the problem is here. Plus, do I look Jewish? All right? I mean, they, they have a target. They're after something. They're not looking, you know. So anyway. But how does that work? Well, first and foremost, I have been warned. Why? My first and primary disciple is my wife. Is my wife. And what I do, and I've shared this many, many times, is that as I look at men for leadership, the thing that I first and foremost look at is their family. How is their family? What are their kids like? What are their wives like? Because usually if I find a woman who's in turmoil, I know a man who's not doing his job. Okay? Okay? It's not, it's not really not that complicated. Um, uh, the two are one. Okay, and if they look like two, Houston, we have a problem. All right? But in warning people and, and, and looking at people, we're doing it for the reason to change. I want you to change. Why? Do you understand, Christian... That you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies? Do you you understand that? Do you understand that you've been blessed according to the riches of heaven? Not out of the riches of heaven? Do you understand the difference between according to and out of? Alright. Anytime that you have a rebellion against the King of kings and Lord of lords, you're cutting off communion. You are forfeiting blessing. Blessing. Because of stiff neck. And our responsibilities as brothers and sisters in Christ is to say, you shouldn't do that. That's shameful. All right, Ephesians 6, let me kind of draw this one in because he speaks to Father, the father's child, he says, do not provoke your children to wrath. Um, You can discipline a child uh, to a place where it stops being correction and it becomes wounding. Okay? We have a tendency... uh, I remember reading uh, Charles Spurgeon's biography and uh, he said, Should I sin and fall into sin? His response was this. Give me to the barkeep's and the harlot; they have more mercy. And I thought, yeah, that's that's true, that's true. Why? Uh, I've heard it put this way: that Christians have a tendency to shoot their wounded. We do. Why? We will shame them to the point that it becomes a wound. For what purpose? You know. If you're willing to do that, I'm going to have to ask you this. Are you willing to take that wounded soul, bandage it at your expense, put that wounded soul in an inn at your expense, and anything that the inn spends over what you give them, you're willing to bear the full cost of? Are you? Because we are called to warn them. A spiritual father is called to warn them. You know, and take it back to a child. You have your child. You warn that child. Right? You don't warn that child to a point of wounding the child. You say, let me explain this to you. And I'll deal with the word admonish. But if you continue with this action, it's going to be terrible. Let me show you how that looks. What do you desire? He asked the church in Corinth. He's been on them now. We've got four chapters of just... Woo-hoo. All right? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? What he's saying is, I've pointed it out to you. Are you going to fix it? Are you going to change? Because if you change, then I come back in a spirit of love and gentleness. If you don't come, I'm going to come with a big stick. Why? What's the important thing here? You're forfeiting your communion with God. You're hurting your testimony. People will look at you and say, What kind of God exists in a person like that? Is your God that big that that's the best you can do? Why would I want that God? You know what? I know even in my short time in this church, and I say a short time, 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. That I have, and I know some of you in this church too, have picked up the pieces of adults' lives who are so beaten and oppressed by their parents, there was never anything redeeming that they were destroyed as people. I see people today who fear God in such a way because they look at Him as their father was, and their father was this mean, chastening, if you don't do this, I'm going to smack you, if you don't do this, I'm going to smack you, and what did you do well, father? Nothing. You didn't do anything good. You're just a bum. And yet you've got to remember something. Why did He die for us? And, and when I deal with people that are in struggling in sin, all right, all I have to do when I start feeling like I'm just going to knock the stew out of this person, all I have to do is look in the mirror and say, how patient was my king when I wouldn't get out of my sin? I shame. Why? So I can admonish. You know, I tell people, I said, it's great to want to, you know, to help a person. I get people who say, well, you know, and, and you've, you've, you've been around me long enough that you won't mention names or specifics because you know how I'll just jump right in the middle of that one. Um, and, and they'll come and they'll say, you know, I'm dealing with an issue. You know, I've got this this problem my question is, are you willing to carry that issue? Are you willing to take that heavy laden burden on your own back and help that weak saint walk? Because if you're not, shh, be quiet. Somebody else will. Why? I don't need to shame him. He says, I want to bring some shame to you, but I want to do it to change you. I write not to shame you, he says, but I want to admonish you. This word in the Greek is to criticize in love with a view towards a change. Okay, Criticize in love with a view towards a change. I need to tell you that what you're doing is wrong because here's the problem that we do. We're we're good at this. Let me tell you what you're doing wrong. What about the change? What would you have the wrong changed into? All right? That's where we fall short. What did they do wrong? Well, that's great. I know what they did wrong, but what do you do to make the wrong change? Here's a simple one. I had a person come to me one time and says, you know what? I I just can't pray. I said, why not? Well, you know, i guess I lay my head, you know, I'd do this folding thing down like this. And, and when I start praying, I start thinking about taking the groceries and taking the trash out and getting groceries and changing the oil. And, Lord, we love you. And I'm praying for the missionary in Africa. And I need to change the oil in my car. And, and I need tires. And, all oh, winter's coming. I better check my antifreeze. And, Lord, you're just so great in heaven and everything else. And that's the way our prayers are. I, said, I just get distracted with everything in life. I said, pray out loud. Said, what? Pray out loud. Pray out loud so your ears hear what your mouth's saying. And you won't be saying, Lord, I need groceries and the oil change and we love you. Because you won't say it. Uh, I heard another illustration. The head of the founder of Queer Nation uh, sought out a church that you and I have ministered with alongside of. And he, he had, was dying of AIDS. And he said, You know, this eternity thing has got me spooked. Uh, and, and do you understand Queer Nation is militant homosexual? Okay, as long as you understand that. Anyway, this guy came to salvation under this man's teaching. Got involved in church, started growing, and started taking the gospel back into a radical homosexual lifestyle of people. But he made the comment one time to this pastor, this friend, and he made this comment, and he says, you know what? He says, I come here, I absorb myself with Christians, I just get into the the stuff and the singing and the exposition of the word and he says man i just get on fire and it says it's just great it says it's amazing and he says and then monday comes and i start thinking about the things i used to do and how i might want to meet with this guy because me and him had a thing or and all the rest of it and he says and i start thinking about the things that i used to do and he says it starts consuming my thought how do i overcome that he says it's easy he reached down at his desk and he pulled out a little notebook a little one of them legal notebook bags he said i want you to take this notebook okay He said, all right. He says, now then, all week, we'll meet next Sunday afternoon. All week, I want you to write down. Every time you have one of these bad thoughts, I want you to write it down. Okay? Just write it down. Whatever the thought was, just write it down. And then when we meet next Wednesday or next Sunday, we'll talk about it. He said, all right. So a week went by and a guy comes into his office and he says, well, let's see the notebook. And he took the notebook and there's nothing on there. He says, you didn't write nothing down. He says, I was so afraid of having to see you next Sunday, I didn't think about nothing. (laughs) See, you can confront the sin. You can say, sitting there tossing that stuff around in your brain is sewer. But what are you going to do to help them think about it? How are you going to help them overcome it? See, that's where we fall short. I don't care if you're going to take a saint and say, I'm going to criticize you, but now bear that burden, help them be the conqueror. That Jesus Christ said that we all are. Admonish means that. See, you also need to understand something about admonish. Okay? Admonish has this one thing that is lacking. Um, you who've been in this church long enough remember Ruth Henry uh, and Henry Piontek. Okay? One of the amazing things that I learned about both of those people are their absolute dependence on the body of Christ. Okay? Uh, both of them went through health problems toward the end of their lives. And and I would go and visit them and talk to them on the phone and, and all the rest of them. And they said, but you don't understand. I'm being fed. It's the fellowship. It's the accountability of the saints that I'm missing. We don't have that today. Why? I got all kinds of things going on. I ain't got time for fellowship. All right? The truth of the matter is you got a lot of things going on and you have time for fellowship. It's just a matter of what am I going to do with it. Because see, admonish says there is a problem and I know there's a problem because I know you well enough that I spend enough time with you that I can tell what the problem is. Admonishment means I know there's a weakness in it because I am so involved in your life, I have seen the weakness. I have seen the sin. I have that there. See, we have people who want to admonish assuming there's a problem. There may not be a problem. See, if I'm going to warn somebody, you better know what you're warning them about. But you also better warn them about, here's how you fix it. Which means, guess what? You're still involved in them people's lives. It's what Paul is saying. A spiritual father is a relationship that you can't separate. Joshua over there will be my son forever. Whether he likes it or not. Or me. Whether I like it or not. In the body of Christ, do you understand there's a reason that we are called beloved? Do you know there's a reason why we are called brothers? Do you understand why? Because in the intimate family relationship, how do you sever that? I know we all have little skeleton things in our closet, but you know what? Maybe you're my skeleton. All right, but I know I'm a bunch of yours, but, okay, but do you see what I'm saying? You can't separate that thing. James makes a statement in there, and I, I read this. I remember going through this, and I was dealing with some pastors, some very, very uh, dear friends of mine, and it says, confess your sins to one another. And I read that, and I said, you've got to be out of your mind. And they said, well, I said, you want me to do what? If I'm struggling with something, who am I going to go tell it to? My wife, is going to tell me to repent because that's what she does when she comes to me. I just say, well, repent. Okay. Who am I going to confess to? Who in this church do you believe is close enough to me that I could tell you I'm struggling with something? Yeah, I know what it should be. And that's exactly what is happening in the church in Corinth. Why can't I bring my lay, my my struggles to the to the to the saints? Help me carry this. Help me carry this. Why don't we do that? Well, you just don't understand. Oh, but I do. Oh, but I do. All right. Don't fear. I have people I share with. All right. See. If I'm involved, then I see the sin. Okay? If I'm involved, I see the weakness. And I can correct it in love. Why? Because, see, if we're buds, okay, we've been together, we know each other, we've been hanging out together, uh, you know, and, and I mean our lives are intertwined. Then when I tell you that what I'm seeing is a sin, you're not going to fly off the handle and say, gone preachers, fire, hell, and brimstone. No, because you've been with me enough to say, you know what? That guy there cares. I've been with him when he cried over lost people. I've been with him when he cried over the sin of the fellowship. I know that he cares. I've been with him when he, he had to go and bury a precious saint. I know, I've been with him when he received the call that a precious saint in the body of Christ is diagnosed, diagnosed terminal and he knew he was going to lose another laborer. But if it's a cursory knowledge of one another, you can't do it. It's impossible. Why does sin spread like yeast in the church? We don't know each other. We don't know each other. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to understand this isn't punishment. This is not a rod. I'm not coming to club somebody. I'm doing this to seek a change. I'm doing this so that the holiness and the majesty of Jesus Christ is seen in a gathering of people so that the world will stand around with their mouth opening in awe, saying, how'd they do that? See, we don't want to shame people so that they're completely abused into uselessness. But we do it so that they'll come right. Okay, but there has to be a problem. See, and the problem has to be based on God's Word. We have our problems. Okay? It's like this. Let me give you two illustrations. The Apostle Paul, in numerous letters, concludes them with a phenomenal term. And I, I thought this would be so cool if the church was holy enough to do this. And he says, greet everyone with a holy kiss. Okay? I get in trouble for hugging people. What would you do if you just laid a big old smacker on somebody? Pow! Okay, now Willie's saying, you come up and kiss me, I'm hitting you. Okay, but... uh, (laughs) right. but I watched it because I I have that meeting in October with Dr. Provost on this stuff in Russia. And he's still trying to get me to go to Russia. And he says, but one of the things you got to be aware of is when you preach the word, the first thing that the the other pastors want to do is kiss you. I'm thinking, what? Maybe I should go be a heretic and I don't have to worry about kissing these guys. But, uh, but wh- why? And, then, and I taught this in uh, one of my books, 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians. And when we got to that text, it said, greet everybody with a holy kiss. Here is how I just find it. What is a holy kiss? It's the opposite of an unholy kiss. That's not that hard. But why do we struggle with that? Why do some people struggle with that? Well, but they hug or they, 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 do this, they do this. I just don't understand why they do that. Why? Well, I got news for you, and I love all of you very, very much. It's your problem, it ain't mine. I like hugging people, okay? And if you don't like it, then stay out of my way, I won't hug you. But don't you dare come up to me and say, why are you hugging? Well, I'll tell you what. You come up and ask me that, I'm giving you a holy kiss. <laughs> and I can break you of <laughs> driving me crazy, all right? Let me give you an illustration. One of the most rotten parents that I've ever read of in my entire life was a guy named Eli. Okay? I mean, we all think about Samuel and, or not Samuel, of uh, David and Solomon and some people like that. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3, we find Eli. In chapter 3, verse 13, it's, the Bible says the reason his kids were bad was this, the commentary is that he did not rebuke them. Okay? He never bothered to criticize lovingly with a uh, a view towards change. Okay, Eli didn't do this. He didn't want to bring him into obedience to God. He didn't want to take him from the wrong behavior in love and take him to a right behavior. Okay? In fact, Remember I talked about the relationship that you have to have? Eli didn't have a clue what they were doing. It had come to Eli's understanding in chapter 2. One of his sons, or his sons, both of his sons were sleeping with ladies in the doorway of the temple. Somebody had to come and tell Eli that his kids were having, you know, with ladies at the temple door. Now, what's wrong with that picture? is the high priest. He has oversight over the temple, which includes the front door. And somebody come to him and says, have you heard? Heard what? Your children, your two boys, are sleeping with women in the front door. Now, what's wrong with that father? So much for relationship, eh? Um he was not involved in his children's life secondly his problem um, when he hears this when the high priest now get this he's the high priest he's the guy who at Yom Kippur will go into the temple to atone for the sins of Israel that's his job he hears this and he goes to his son and here's what his response is why'd you do that? what? I read that and I said, Eli, that is irrelevant because all that is, is going to be speculation. Um, why did they do that? Well, uh, I just happened to be there. Why wasn't he seeking a solution? I mean, Eli, dude, you got that atonement thing going on, you know, where you're cutting the, the you know, blood, blood, and all that every day for sin wonder why they were doing that, Eli. But what do you do to fix it, Eli? He, you have a high priest who basically didn't understand what it was he was supposed to do. Had no clue what he was supposed to do. He did not admonish his kids. Listen, if you have a spiritual child, there's no difference. There's no difference. You criticize and love to change their behavior. Okay? You discipline to restore. You don't discipline to wound A loving father doesn't publicly shame his children. He takes them in the bathroom, beats them raw, and you can hear him screaming throughout the building. No, just kidding. Just kidding. That's just just kidding. You don't do it openly. Why? I don't need to. Church discipline starts how? quietly, the person who sees it happen goes to the person and deals with it. You know what's cool about that? You don't put it on the prayer chain. You don't say, you know what, I'm getting ready to deal with this and I need everybody in the church to pray for this. No! I see the sin, I'm involved in the relationship in such a way that I have the ability and the right to walk up and say, you know what, I don't think that's right. I've done that before. I went to a bar one night and got a man's wife. Why? I didn't do it openly. I didn't say, let's grab a bunch of elders and let's all... Let's the whole church. We'll take our hymnals down. We'll sit right in the middle and we'll sing praises and see if we get her attention. I went down and I did it quietly. He told me what he thought was going on. I knew what was going on. I I knew exactly where I needed to go. I went into it. I tapped her on the shoulder. She turned around. She got the color of that white paper and... (laughs) And we went home. We di- I mean, we didn't go home. I took her home. <laughs> All right. Okay. Why? I didn't have to say anything. Why? I, I want to change your behavior. I want to change your behavior. A loving father doesn't do that publicly. Uh, you don't mock your children. You cannot put them on public display. You don't do that to your spiritual kids. You should never do that to your uh, blood kids. It's part of our work as a father. You know what? This is the single most important thing that is lacking in the body of Christ right now. And it's based on two folds that I've both dealt with at this time. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, the Apostle Paul, dealing with his obligation to preach the gospel, said this, We proclaim him admonishing every man. Why? I am seeing, I I am doing this to see a change in behavior. To who? Every man. Which is every man? Every man. See, if you're discipling someone and you see them doing something wrong, if you really care about them, uh, you have an obligation to say what you're doing is wrong. In light of God's word, this is wrong and this is how we fix it. This is how we fix it. That's disciplining. You can't discipline somebody by just teaching them. You have to confront their lives with the things that need to be happening in their lives as individuals. Which means you have to be involved. You have to be involved. You get alongside and you see what's going on. I'm going to give you one last text and we'll finish up. Uh, one of my favorite texts in the whole of wor- all of the world. This is church, brothers and sisters. This is what it's about. It's chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 12. It says, we request that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. How am I to appreciate these men who have, uh, have authority over me in the Lord and give me instruction and who are diligently laboring among me? That you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay? But then he says this. Live in peace with one another. Okay? Context there. That's the body of Christ. You don't live in peace with the world. You live in peace with one another. Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in all humility consider others more important than yourself. That's how you live at peace with one another. Okay? Verse 14. We urge you, brethren... Do you know what the word urge means? I am begging you, this is an obligation, this is a desire. If you're going to get this thing right, you need to do this. You need to be overwhelmed with passion for this. And what is he saying? That you admonish the unruly. You know what's cool about that text? It doesn't say that the preacher is to admonish the unruly, does it? It doesn't say the elder, the Sunday school director, Sunday school teacher, the evangelist, staff member, the piano player, or whatever. Who is to admonish the unruly? Unruly is a military term that means if you're walking this way, they're walking that way. If you're going forward, they're going backwards. you're going left, they're going right. They are absolutely at odds with everything you do, and it says that you are to, in view of a change, criticize them in love to change what they're doing. What else does it say? Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted is those person who's young in the faith. They may have a lot of doctrine. They have a lot of theology. It's never been tested, and every time it tests, they fall. All right. Faint-hearted is the person that, that is just swoons at everything. Oh, there has another one. Okay. You know them. We've all been there. You know, you know, I'm in debt, I'm in debt, I'm in debt. Look, God gave me a check. Hallelujah. Oh, who am I going to make next week? That's the faint-hearted. Okay? That's what they are. It's what, oh, you just don't understand. Yes, I do. He spoke existence in the being and He sustains all of existence. What problem do you have? Okay? So you take them people and you encourage them. All right? But what else do we do? Help the weak. This can be morally weak or this can be just physically weak. Okay, you help them. What does that mean? You got to pick them up, hold them up, and then you start walking, 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 and then you let go, and it and you pick them up, and you walk and walk and walk. And guess what? There's we're dealing with that thing again. What is it? Relationship. I got to be involved. You can't just run around and look and say, "Why are all them people laying down behind me?" Because you were supposed to be encouraging them, you were supposed to be strengthening them, and you're standing out here like some pigeon. I don't know why I use the word pigeon. Okay. I've seen one go by the window. Um, help the weak. And what else does it say? Ooh. Ooh. Let me tell you something. If you're dealing with faint-hearted, weak, and unruly people, you will be patient. <laughs> they will mandate it. Okay? Look what else he says. No one repays the evil for an evil. In the church in Corinth, they're suing each other. Wonderful. Seek after that. Seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. How about that? Then he has the one that I just love the best. Verse 16. Rejoice always. When? When you're dealing with the unruly, when you're dealing with the the weak hearted, and then all them other fainted people. Rejoice always. Rejoice, rejoice. I got a weak people. Okay? And then, if that ain't got it figured out, You pray without ceasing. Let me tell you something. If you're trying to appreciate your elders, if you're trying to encourage or uh, admonish the unruly, and you're trying to strengthen the faint-hearted, and you're trying to uh, be patient with everybody, you will pray without ceasing. Because if you don't, it'll drive you crazy. What? In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you. Anybody want to know what God's will is? Chapter 12. Or chapter 5, verse 12 through 18. That's God's will. What? Appreciate them, esteem them highly in love, admonish the unruly. It's not that complicated. People say, what's God's will? It's that part in the Bible that says, this is God's will for you. But we admonish. Give birth to that child. And in dealing with that child, we have to admonish them. We have to change them. Here's the things of God. Here's the things of the world. Okay, I'm going to teach you those things. And as I teach you those things, I'm going to show you how to walk in it. I'm going to show you how to walk in it. Okay, now let me share with you a really quick thought here. You really, I want you to grab this. Okay, because you look at that. That looks like a ton bunch of work, doesn't it? All right, I mean, being patient with everybody is a ton bunch of work. All right. The Apostle Paul makes this statement. Okay, he says, I want you to be an imitator of me. I want you to, I make disciples. That's the great commission. It's not make converts. Okay, It's not to have crusades. It's to make disciples. Here's what he does. I want you to think about this. And we'll get, get more into it. But he says, I'm going to send to you Timothy. Think about that. I have all these problems with you knuckleheads. And I'm going to send to you Timothy. What did you say? Timothy's living proof that it happens. Why? Because when Timothy comes, it is just as if I am there. Now then, ask yourself a question Do you have any spiritual kids? then understand you should be under great conviction today. Okay? If you have spiritual kids, ask yourself this. Can my spiritual child go in my place in any given circumstance? Paul said, I'm sending you Timothy. Why? Is you like me. You know? Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for the amazing things. That you did through my brother Paul, and Father, the amazing things you do among us. Lord, may we understand the urgency of the day. May we understand the wonder of wonders. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Father, may we, as we bow before your throne, as we take this time, can we rejoice that we are children of the King. But Father, may we be imitators. And Father, as we imitate, may we lovingly pass it on. Warning, admonishing every man to draw them in to the holiness of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Christ's name. Amen.